welcome to Misunderstood, a podcast dedicated to better understanding MS and learning to live well with MS. I'm your host, Katie Sloan. Our usual reminders as we begin, I'm not an expert. I'm just a person like you, living with MS and trying to make the best of it. Misunderstood is based on my personal experience, what I've learned from my doctors, other care providers, and my own solutions-oriented research and pattern-finding obsession. And while the majority of the information I share has been vetted by doctors, I'm not a doctor. My intention is that you use the information shared here as a springboard for discussion between you and your doctor regarding your future care options. And lastly, MS impacts each of us uniquely. I hope to shine a light on a wide range of approaches and strategies for living better with MS, but what you choose to do with that information is always your choice, and what works for one may not work for all. Last week, we took a week off for the July 4th holiday and to dedicate some much-needed time to self-care. I'm looking forward to the flock meeting this Saturday to hear an update on how everyone did with their own self-care. And listeners, I'd love to hear from you, too. You can connect with me at mymsflock at gmail.com. My sincere thanks once again for everyone who came out of the woodwork to support my short break. I'm doing so much better, thank you. My vision and hands are a lot better with the rest. And I even managed to help harvest and distribute over 100 pounds of cherries to our neighbors in a low-stress, incremental way over the course of the week. I also had a slew of doctor appointments, so it was nice to have time to fully prepare for and reflect upon those appointments. I had my first virtual PT appointment, which was really great, and a series of three neuropsych appointments, so it was definitely a busy week. I'm happy to report I've experienced no additional cognitive decline, and we did talk about my mental health um, with the elevated stress, anxiety, and depression we've noticed has emerged with 2020's unique challenges. I share that because it's a big reason of why I chose to release this particular episode today. For this week's episode, I had originally planned to share an interview with acupuncturist extraordinaire, Therese Pratt Powers, and yet she is reopening her practice this week after the COVID-19 closure, and since self-care was so heavily on my mind, I reached out to Therese and asked her if waiting until next week might be easier for her. She was so grateful, as the reopening process has required much more than she anticipated. So here's the thing. Self-care is kind of like gratitude and that it can be the gift that keeps on giving. If I hadn't personally been so in tune with my own self-care needs by taking time to focus on it last week, I might not have thought that maybe Therese could use some self-care too in the form of a gift of time. So we'll hear from Therese next week, and today I'm going to use this unanticipated gift of time to share with you one of my all-time favorite topics that I believe is highly relevant for all of us, and especially as more counties and states tighten up their COVID-19 guidelines once again, and we continue to spend more time at home together with our families or roommates. Today's gratitude is for my partner, Eric. He's an incredible human any way you look at it, but today I'm especially grateful for his open mind when I first talked with him many years ago about today's topic and how we revisited it together many times in the years since. 
Through this, I've learned so much about how we've both changed through the years and how open communication and speaking in the same language we both understand can help us evolve and grow even closer together over time, regardless what life throws our way. This is especially important during COVID-19, as sometimes even the strongest relationships may flounder. We had a hard conversation in March when we each had different needs when it came to feeling safe during COVID. Having open dialogue and speaking in a language we both understood has helped us traverse the months since as a cohesive team, and that has made all the difference. This topic also has helped a lot as I've changed over the years as someone living with MS and for him having a partner with MS. So we'll talk about that today too. So what is today's topic? Love languages. I waited a bit to spill the beans on the name of today's topic because it's one that at first you might think is a bit cheesy or not that relevant or helpful, and you might be reluctant to listen. Or you may be tempted to think it's just for people struggling in their relationships, and that's definitely not the case. I've used love languages not only in my primary relationship with my partner, but also with other members of my family, friends, in the workplace, with teachers I used to coach, my own students of various ages over the years, and my teacher's students, and to better help support my friends that are parents with their relationships with their kiddos. So let's first look at what they are and why on earth they are so darn relevant to us today. As a basic overview, Dr. Gary Chapman wrote the original book called The Five Love Languages in 1995. So his work isn't anything new, but in the years since, he has added many more variations to the collection to include love languages for children, teens, singles, and in the workplace. Here are some of his many titles that may interest you, and you'll see there's really something for everyone. The Five Love Languages, The Secret to Love That Lasts. The Five Love Languages of Children, The Secret to Loving Children Effectively. The Five Love Languages of Teenagers, The Secret to Loving Teens Effectively. The Five Love Languages for Men, Tools for Making a Good Relationship Great. Building Love Together in Blended Families, The Five Love Languages and Becoming Step Family Smart. The Five Love Languages of Appreciation in the Workplace, Empowering Organizations by Encouraging People. And The Five Love Languages Singles Edition, The Secret That Will Revolutionize Your Relationships. So, what are love languages? According to Chapman, the five ways to categorize how we both express and experience love are called love languages. And they are important because when it comes to maintaining healthy relationships, it's generally agreed upon that communication is crucial. While every relationship has its natural ups and downs and ebbs and flows, good communication is key to getting through the hard times and emerging from them even closer. And right now, with so much going on around the world, most of us are experiencing a higher level of angst, stress, anxiety, depression, melancholy, you name it, we're feeling it. These additional stressors make clear communication both more difficult and more important than ever. 
It's also important to note that we each have preferences in how we speak in love languages and how we prefer to have others speak in love languages to us. And yet our partners or whomever we're seeking to have a stronger relationship with, whether it be a parent, child, colleague, friend, or so on, has their own preferences as well. So actually having a conversation about love languages with others can help everyone find the best ways to communicate with one another so everyone is truly heard. Communicating well means that others will better understand our ideas, thoughts, feelings, struggles, and desires. And since not everyone expresses love in the same way, often we seek to express love to another person in the way we like love expressed to us, rather than showing love in the preferred love language of the other person. The key, according to Chapman, is discovering which love language you and your partner respond to the most, and then regularly putting that into practice. Chapman's theory is that people tend to naturally give love the way they prefer to receive it. And that means that if you and your partner prefer to receive love in different ways, you may essentially be trying to communicate love to each other in completely different languages, and your love will quite literally be lost in translation. And here's the thing, and I'll share more about this throughout the episode, our love languages actually change and fluctuate over time. This is sometimes caused when we enter a new phase of our lives, like expanding our families, getting a new job, being diagnosed with a disease, and so on. And it's also when we're experiencing something new. Have you ever read up on the most stressful changes in life? Some of them are what you'd expect and are considered negative things, like a divorce, being fired from a job, a death of a loved one, or financial issues. But some are positive changes, like getting married, a new job, a new college degree, buying a new home, having a baby, adopting a new pet. And yet all change requires adjustments, and these are great times in our lives to reassess our current love language preferences. So fast forward to now with our ongoing challenge of living in a COVID-19 world, which has altered many of our typical routines or, or even completely thrown them out the window, right? So no wonder I'm hearing more and more people struggling with getting along with others. So much is uncertain regarding what our future will hold. Businesses have shut down, people have lost their jobs, many people are suffering in isolation, and we have lost a lot of collective loved ones to COVID-19. In the midst of all of this unchosen change, where it seems everything has changed, there is one thing that hasn't really changed at all, and that is our human desire to love and to be loved. As more and more of us experience extended isolation, this emotional need becomes amplified even more. So how can we help those we love feel loved during this time of immense struggle? With many of us stuck in close quarters with one another, tension is at an all-time high. Parents are trying to work from home while supervising their children at the same time. Some of our typical stress relievers like travel or social events are not currently options. And while the ways we can interact right now are different, there are still many ways to effectively communicate our love and support, even from a safe distance. And I'll share some of those with you today as we go through each of the different love languages. So without further ado, let's dive in. 
The five love languages are words of affirmation, quality time, receiving gifts, acts of service, and physical touch. According to Chapman, words of affirmation are the most common primary love language, but only by a small margin. Words of affirmation, 23%. Quality time, 20%. Acts of service, 20%. Physical touch, 19%. And receiving gifts, 18%. So it's a pretty even split preference-wise, and typically people score more highly in just one or two of the five love languages. So as we take a closer look at each of these five love languages, be thinking which love language you prefer to speak to others and in which love language you prefer to be spoken to. And of course, this can be different depending on whom you're thinking about. So consider choosing someone specific to think about as you listen. Knowing your love languages can be key in all of your close relationships and being able to articulate your love language preferences along with listening to others' preferences can help all of your relationships strengthen over time. Without this important knowledge, we often misidentify a lot of the love others are trying to show us, which can result in a vicious cycle of growing resentment and even more struggles in relationships. As we go through them, don't stress about writing anything down. There are a number of free online love language quizzes, so you can easily access those to determine your love language preference and ask others in your life close to you to take the quiz as well. Rather, just listen and marinate on which love language resonates most with you and with someone you love greatly. And for each love language, I'll share a few tips regarding how to make a person feel special if that is their preferred love language. The first of the five love languages is words of affirmation. Some people love and need to hear encouraging words and words expressing love to affirm their partner's love. Words of affirmation can be spoken or written and often include compliments. People who prefer words of affirmation struggle with emotionally harsh words and undue criticism. They prefer verbal expressions of care and affection. Think, thanks for putting the kids to bed, or you look really nice today. Conversely, insults can be particularly upsetting to people who favor words of affirmation. In today's COVID-19 world, don't underestimate the power of sending an audio or video message that may have a more powerful impact than a text or email, because hearing and seeing your voice maximize the power of your words. And if you'd like to do something nice for someone who appreciates words of affirmations, here are a few ideas. One of my favorites is sending someone a card with several envelopes inside, one to open each day. The envelopes could contain appreciations, inspiring quotes, jokes, photos, or fun memories you've shared together. Often, people who value words of affirmation also enjoy books. This is a great time to honor that love through a favorite book, an audible gift card, especially awesome for folks like me who struggle with vision and often need to limit screen time. Most of all, whatever you decide to give, be sure to include a personalized card with a few choice words that they're sure to appreciate. In thinking about my MS symptoms, 
sometimes my memory, especially short-term memory, just isn't what it used to be. And even though I can sometimes tell this is irritating to Eric, when he compassionately repeats what he said without blinking an eye, that's another way his words affirm his love for me. The second love language is quality time. Some people love when others show their affection through undedicated time with their full undivided attention. This might include running errands together, taking trips together to make lifelong memories, going on walks, hanging out together at home, or having a regular date night. Folks who value quality time as their love language often enjoy quiet places with few interruptions and one-on-one -on -one conversations. People who prefer quality time struggle with too much time spent in large groups of people, isolation, and long gaps of time between positive interactions, as well as half-hearted or distracted listening, or by repeatedly postponing planned time together. So, plan to engage in an activity together, particularly one you both enjoy, like a cocktail watching the sun go down, or playing a collaborative board game. If this is your love language, having a distracted or distant partner that makes you feel unseen or unheard is the biggest pitfall. During times of isolation and social distancing, quality time may need to look different. So maybe you're not meeting up with friends for coffee, but you could have a video chat meetup while still drinking coffee together. You could read the same book or watch the same show or movie, then meet up to discuss. You can even cook the same meal, then hop online to virtually eat it together. Even people that you live with, you may not be spending quality time together, even though it feels like you're always together. In fact, many people may be spending their time at home working, doing chores, or prioritizing their mental health in such a way that might mean spending less quality time than usual with those they live with. And this is definitely true for Eric and me. Just a few days ago, one of our conversations prompted me to want to do this episode because we realized that even though we're both home together all day, er day, we've actually been spending less time together and definitely less quality time. We noticed that we spent most of the daytime apart. We'd then meet up to make and eat dinner, then routinely plant ourselves on the couch to watch something together. And yet watching a movie or show together isn't really being together. So now we're transitioning back to playing more games and doing more of our typical fun hobbies together. And it's really helping already. One of the most powerful gifts we can give to others right now is to create space for and listen to our loved ones. If you want to surprise someone who prefers the quality of time love language, Surprise them with a gift card for a local drive through coffee shop or novel or cookbook, then invite them to meet up virtually. One thing I've done weekly since mid-March is hosting a Zoom happy hour for my college roommates. We've actually been connecting more than ever, and we're very grateful for this COVID-19 silver lining. We've all been busy, too, sorting through old photo albums and sharing those during our happy hours. And this provides us with lots to talk about and many awesome trips down memory lane together. If others like the photos, it's easy to make a quick digital copy and send it off to them. 
Keep in mind that with chronic illness like MS, scheduling time to spend with others can actually be stressful for us, given that many of our symptoms are unpredictable. So tools like Marco Polo, which is a virtual video messaging app, are great because you can send and respond to messages at times when you're feeling better and not be tied to feeling up at a particular scheduled time. Sure, it's maybe not as powerful as a back and forth conversation, but it's a nice modification that makes sense for a lot of us and is still very much appreciated by others. Okay, the third love language is receiving gifts. Many people enjoy receiving gifts, but for some, it's their primary love language, and nothing pleases them more or makes them feel more loved than when they receive a thoughtful gift. Often, these folks also enjoy giving thoughtful gifts. Other related preferred actions are remembering special occasions and giving or receiving small tokens of affection. Important to these folks are pleasant facial expressions and the private giving of gifts. And they struggle with excessive materialism of seemingly impersonal gifts like general gift cards and when others forget special events. Preferred gifts can be both tangible and intangible items that make them feel appreciated or noticed. So for example, going somewhere could mean just as much as a physical gift. To individuals who favor this love language, the absence of everyday gestures or a missed special occasion are particularly hurtful. People who speak this language particularly enjoy things like random acts of kindness. And there's no need to run out to the store to buy anything. In fact, homemade gifts are often seen as even more thoughtful. Eric's mom, for example, recently made us some incredible homemade gifts called Quilt Magic. They are truly works of art that we will treasure for life. And bonus, it gave her a creative outlet to occupy her time while staying home. Another gift I received from a friend this year is a Jason Momoa adult coloring book. Aquaman was my fave growing up, and I'm thrilled that Jason Momoa has made Aquaman cool again, even though some may say for the first time. Anyways, it's been a fun gift that keeps on giving, and again, is keeping me occupied. It's a ton of fun to color Jason in his many hilarious settings as I listen to my book club books on Audible. Other gifts that mean a lot are gifts that help us to take care of ourselves. A weighted blanket, for instance, or calming essential oils, or Cuddle Duds loungewear. The fourth love language is acts of service. Actions speak louder than words. Many things can be considered acts of service, from assisting with household chores to ongoing acts of helpfulness. Acts of service require thought, planning, time, and effort. The idea is not simply to stay busy or do the tasks you enjoy most, but to do the things that are most meaningful and helpful to the other person. An acts of service person can be hurt by laziness, someone leaving a mess for them to clean up, or forgotten promises to help. They like to hear things like, what can I do for you? They struggle with folks that forget promises, overcommit to tasks and don't follow through, or feel ignored. It's basically doing something helpful or kind for your partner, 
So think, waking up with a baby in the middle of the night or doing the dishes so your partner can relax. For someone who favors acts of service, ambivalence or a lack of support are more damaging than anything else. An act of service could be checking in on others, dropping off needed items to people for whom it's more difficult or unsafe to go out right now, like groceries or even a home-cooked meal, or sharing something that you have an excess of. One example for an act of service I did last week that felt good was picking cherries from our tree to distribute to neighbors. Some acts of service that I've noticed Eric doing more around the house are washing more dishes and vacuuming, which is really hard for me. And since my cleaning helper isn't currently able to come here to help me, it's meant a lot to me that he's keeping up with our usual vacuuming schedule. With two dogs, that's not just important, but imperative. He's also started a somewhat new habit of taking protein out of the freezer in the morning, which I often forget, so that we always have options for dinner. He's really great at noticing things that I'm struggling with and quietly steps in to help. A clever idea I came across in my research was giving someone a cookbook, along with a note instructing them to choose three meals from recipes in the book and offering to prepare and deliver them at their request. <laughs> wow, now that is certainly an act of service especially for someone who might have MS heat sensitivity and for whom cooking while it's hot is not always an option. And finally, physical touch. For people who speak physical touch love language, nothing speaks more deeply than touch. Not everyone likes to be touched, especially by strangers, but for others, touching, including hugs and handshakes, is vital to their health and well-being if physical touch is a primary love language. Some people simply need to be touched to feel cared for. You can imagine, even if you aren't a physical touch love language speaker, that those who are are really struggling right now when it's smart to follow social distancing guidelines. People who enjoy physical touch as a love language enjoy hugs and sitting close as nonverbal communications of love. They have a strong negative reaction to threats, neglect, corporal punishment, and physical abuse. Physical expressions of love can be sexual in nature or more platonic, ranging from holding hands, a back scratch, a simple hug, a kiss, or intercourse. The absence of such can leave these individuals feeling isolated in a relationship. A simple shoulder rub cozying up on the couch, these are things that are easy to forget when we're all even more heavily than usual relying on our technology devices. And as you may guess, this love language might be the hardest to convey at this time of social distancing, as maintaining physical touch with people you don't live with is currently behavior that comes with some level of risk. Using technology to try to recreate in-person experiences can help, but if physical touch is your preferred love language and you can't find innovative ways to make it safely happen, sometimes relying on your secondary love language and leaning into that more heavily for a time may help. Sometimes good tokens of touch that you can give to people who are isolated yet crave physical touch are things like home massage tools, bath bombs, savory body lotions, or even gift cards for places that sell sensory items like loungewear or weighted blankets. 
For MS folks, many of whom suffer from extreme temperatures, refillable ice packs, cooling blankets, or Coolabar clothing, which is a lightweight UPF clothing brand I like, can really help comfort the skin. So now you have an overview of the five love languages and likely a good idea of your loved one's preferred love languages. And while communication is essential in any relationship, it's especially important in a relationship where one partner is living with a chronic illness like MS. A lifelong diagnosis changes the dynamics of a relationship. It often alters the roles that each partner plays as time goes on. And living with MS can create additional challenges that we need to figure out how to address together. And if the love languages can really help us work through conflicts and better understand each other's ever-changing needs, being open and honest helps us grow stronger together over time. So how can these love languages help us live well with MS? And how might our love languages change over time? I'll share a few personal reflections, and I encourage you to think about how your own love languages may have shifted over the course of your life so far. When I was younger, I really loved both giving and receiving gifts, and that was definitely a strong love language for me in both aspects. When I was married in my 30s, that definitely changed. My husband at the time was all about words of affirmation, and I began to really love that and crave it since I grew up in a household where I love yous were not often spoken. However, when his words were not followed by corresponding actions, the words of affirmation lost their power and authenticity over time and began to feel disingenuous. Fast forward to now, as life is more challenging and I need more help with things I used to do easily, acts of service has definitely taken center stage for me. Eric knows this, and as previously mentioned, he's really stepped up in this area for us both. While we've gone to Costco together three times over the past few months, he now does most of our household shopping and errands, if I can't get something delivered. Some love languages have maintained their level of importance for me, but the specific ways and how I prefer to receive them has changed. Physical touch, for example, has always been something I value in a relationship. Yet now, with my startle response, a topic we'll cover in a future episode as many of us with MS experience this, and feel weird, unpredictable neurologic pain and spasticity, there are times when the physical touch I crave most is a shoulder massage, essential oil application, or just sitting close on the couch. Because we do change over time, it's important to revisit love languages with the people we love. Doing so can help us realize that sometimes we may be missing each other's messages of love. And when we know how someone currently prefers to show love, it's easier to see and understand their expressions of love that may have otherwise gone unnoticed and likely unappreciated. And knowing how we each prefer to receive love in different ways encourages us to make an effort to express love in the other's preferred language. So while Eric might appreciate that I always wash and fold his laundry for him, I know that what matters more to him is being more physically affectionate. And while I certainly appreciate all the ways he supports me and our family financially, nothing compares to the love I feel when he empties the dishwasher 
or calls the vet to ask a question I just cannot bear to ask myself. While love languages may not be a solution to every communication problem in a relationship, I do believe they are a very useful tool for improving communication. And given the unpredictable future we face together, given my MS and COVID-19, being well-versed in love languages and having an up-to-date assessment of how my partner prefers to give and receive love can be incredibly helpful in not only getting us through challenges, but thriving and finding joy in the midst of challenges. The biggest takeaways I hope you leave with today. We naturally utilize our own languages, the one that makes us feel loved the most, rather than speaking the other person's preferred language or the language that makes them feel most loved. So even when both parties make extreme efforts to express love to one another, if they are both speaking their own love languages rather than the other person's preferred love languages, neither of them will feel deeply loved. Once we gain an understanding of the love languages and know which ones people in our lives crave the most, we must make it a priority to speak to each person in their own preferred language. When we mutually embrace this concept and intentionally and consistently communicate love to each other in the language that is the most meaningful to the other person, both people feel deeply loved and their relationship flourishes even under challenging circumstances. I hope this episode leaves you motivated to take a quick free online love languages quiz. They are widely available. I'll post one on Patreon for Flock members. And I encourage you to have your loved ones take the quiz too. Flock members, bring your love languages to our conversation on Saturday to share with the group. Following this and every podcast, I offer Zoom sessions for our Patreon listeners to discuss the episode's topic together. I hope you'll join us. Become a patron on patreon.com slash msflock for the Zoom session schedule and invitation links. Membership is only $1 a month to access these important flockings and more content and opportunities. Next week, we'll visit with Therese Powers to learn about how acupuncture and Chinese herbs can benefit folks with MS. Feel free, as always, to submit questions, comments, or future podcast topics or guest ideas to mymsflock at gmail.com. Until next time, be thinking about how you can identify your personal love languages and ask your loved ones to share theirs with you, too. Just having that simple conversation should yield better communication and more feelings of love in a time when we all need it most. Lastly, remember, as we travel through life with MS, we're certain to hit some turbulence. We'll get through it, especially if we're flying together, supporting one another. Thank you for listening, and until next time, be well. <laughs>